And if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter 5. We're going to spend one final week in 1 Peter. As we've been going through 1 Peter, the letter that, that Peter wrote so many years ago to churches in Asia Minor to encourage them, to teach them how to follow God, how to believe in God, particularly as they face persecution, as they face trials, as they dealt with the fact that life is hard. And he wanted to encourage them and help them to know how to respond to God in the midst of the difficulties of life. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the last few verses, a, a few ver- the verses of these, of these letters that these guys wrote. Often they're just kind of, we often kind of don't pay a whole lot of attention to them because they're a lot, a lot, like filled with a lot of greetings, you know, say hi to this guy, say hi to this guy, this person sends their greetings. But uh, I think Peter says some crucial things. He communicates some things, even crystallizes some, some important things that he wants the readers, he wants us to grab a hold of after he's um, given the message that he's given throughout the whole letter. Um, and, and he kind of summarizes a few things here and says, don't miss this. Take hold of this as you move forward in your life. So listen to God's word as I read 1 Peter 5, verses 12 to 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would now take uh, these few verses here and open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to hear what you want to tell us. We pray that your spirit would work in us to take your truth, to plant it deep in our hearts, and to bear fruit. We pray that we wouldn't walk away unchanged this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't drop the baton. Don't drop the baton. Don't drop the baton. That was going through my head over and over again as I was watching the Olympics, the last Olympics, and it was the, the women's 4 by 100 meter relay. Um, it's the, the race where there's you know, four different people run you know, each 100 meters, and they hand the baton off to the next person, hand the baton off to the next person. And, uh, oh, thanks. That's, that's good, Andy. Um, so this is actually what happened the Olympics before last time. And the announcers had made a huge deal about the fact that the time, um, the, the Olympics, um, I guess it was six years ago, the American women were the ones who were favored to win it and yet they had dropped the baton. Somebody got distracted, somebody got bumped, and you can see, I don't know if you can see that very well, there's a red baton there, and they dropped it, and they were not able to finish the race, and of course they didn't win gold, let alone um, any other medal at all. And uh, as Peter is coming to the end of his letter, even though his letter has been brief, he's given them a lot of information about what what God calls the people to do and to live out. And I think... Peter is concerned that as he comes to the end of his letter that the people are not going to grab hold of the baton, that they're not going to grab hold of what he has taught them and continue running with it. Um, That they're going to be so distracted by, that they're going to have heard these great truths that he's communicated to them and then as they go about their lives they're going to be so distracted by all of the difficulties, all of the suffering, all of the persecution that they're going to just drop it and forget what he's told them. Or, or maybe they're just going to kind of like hear all this amazing stuff that Peter has said and then just kind of, you know, be passive and not do anything with it. Um, that's, that's a danger for all of us when we come into contact with God's word, with his truth. 
Um, for, for all of us, it's possible when we, when, we, when we meet with God and hear what he has to say to us, even maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe you, you, it's happened to you before where you've been you know, encouraged or you've been like, man, I need to do this differently. And then you walk out and then nothing changes. You know? Everything stays the same. You just leave the baton back there in the church, right? Or you walk out and you're so distracted by everything else that's going on in your life that you just leave the baton sitting there. You can take that picture down, Andy. Um, and I think we face this danger, and the people face this danger. And, and in the, the last few verses that Peter gives us here, that Peter writes, um, yes, he, he sends some greetings, but in it, I think he's encouraging them to grab a hold of a few things that they need as they go out in life and as they deal with the hardship of life, as they deal with suffering, as they deal with persecution, as they deal with trials. He's like, this is what you need to take hold of if you want to live your life in a healthy way, in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of the fact that life is hard. Take hold of these things. Take hold of them and run with them. And that's what I'm going to focus on just for a few minutes this morning. The first thing that he wants them to take hold of that I see in this passage is the, the, the main command that he gives them in the middle of the passage. He says, stand firm, right? He says, stand firm. When I hear him say stand firm, immediately I think, okay, I've got to hit the gym. I've got to start working out. I've got to start you know, getting strong so I can plant my feet and really be strong and, be, and, you know, and, and not let anything move me. right? But what, just notice, what does he tell them to stand firm in? He says stand firm in it. What is the it referring to? Right? The it is referring to the words that he just said right before that command. Where he says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What you have to be about, what you have to focus on, is standing firm in God's grace. Standing firm in God's grace. What is God's grace? What, it's, it's all that Peter has been talking about in the whole letter. God's grace is everything that God is, everything that God has done that he offers to pour out upon us in spite of the fact that we are undeserving, that we have, that, that we have failed to be worthy of his attention, of his kindness, of his love, of his power, of his provision. That's what God's grace is. God's grace is everything that he offers to give us even though we don't deserve it, even though we haven't earned it. And it's crystallized in, in what? In the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ that Peter has reminded us of, that Jesus is the precious Lamb of God that has shed his blood for us. That even though we have sinned, we have turned our backs on God, God has sent his Son to suffer for us in our place to bring us back to him. That is the grace of God. That we would know that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is on our side, that God loves us that God will provide for us, not because we are worthy, not because we are strong, but precisely because we are weak and we need him. That's what we need to stand firm in. And the problem is when I, when I hear this idea of standing firm, you know, again, I, I think it, it's all about me and my strength, but ultimately to stand firm in God's grace is to learn to, to cling to his strength in the midst of my being weak. I'm going to put that next picture up there, Andy. Um, if you guys have seen the, uh, the Captain America movie from a bunch of years ago, it was the first kind of movie in the Marvel franchise. When I hear the command to stand firm, I immediately think, I've got to be the guy on the right. Right? That needs to be me. 
Um, if you know anything about the Captain America, it's about this, this uh, soldier, the guy on the left, Steve Rogers, I think that's his name, I've got his name right. He's, uh, he's rejected by the military, and, uh, but then they take him and they inject him with this like, super strength serum. And then he, and then he just kind of balloons up and becomes this incredibly strong, like supernaturally strong guy. So I think standing firm in God's grace is about me being the strong guy on the right, about me portraying that to everyone else, about me convincing myself that, that I can get through life purely on, you know, standing firm and being strong. But really standing firm in God's grace is about embracing the guy on the left, about saying that that's really who I am. I'm a guy who's weak, who's scrawny, who needs God every step of the way. I'm, a, I'm one who is desperate for God's presence in my life, for God's love to remind me that I'm his. You can take that down, Andy. To stand firm in God's grace is to cling to the fact that I am weak and God is strong. And all of my life needs to be, basically, I need to, I need to come to the point where my answer to everything in life is the grace of God. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the, uh, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. But uh, the girl's father, Gus um, Portocalis, I think his name is, um, there's this one really funny part where, they, where she talks about it. his answer to everything is spraying Windex on it. Like if you have any kind of ailment at all, he just sprays Windex on it. Anything at all. He's like, Windex is the answer to everything. I think that's, that's what it means to stand firm in God's grace is to, is to say God's grace is the answer to everything in my life. The way that I feel about myself, my identity, I need to come back and spray God's grace on it. Realize that I'm loved by God not because I perform enough, not because I'm good enough, not because I have done enough, but purely because of what Jesus has done for me. And nothing will change his love for me. No matter how much I mess up, no matter how much I fail, I need to, I need to remind myself that God's love for me is based on his grace toward me. As I think about interacting with other people, I need to spray God's grace on that. You know, as, as I love people, as I interact with my family members, as I interact with, with other people who let me down, I need to love them even though they don't deserve it, even though I, I don't feel like they deserve it. I need to love them and show grace to them. I need to, I, I need to, to cling to God's grace, spray God's grace on everything. That is the answer. That is how I stand firm in the grace of God. By, by reminding me that, that it's God's grace that, that shapes how I look at myself. It's God's grace that must shape how I look at my marriage and my kids and my friendships. The things that I've lost in my life, I need to, to rest in and cling to and stand firm in the grace of God. That apart from God's grace, I would be lost I don't deserve his attention or his love, and yet because of his grace, because he has given me what I don't deserve through the work of Jesus, that that is where I can find wholeness and well-being and joy and that alone. We need to stand firm in God's grace. Um, the second thing he wants us to take hold of and not miss as we, as we interact with life, as, as we deal with hardship in life, as we deal with suffering, is, is we need to hold on to people. We need to hold on to people. One of the things that comes out of these verses is the importance of people to Peter. You know, first he, he names Sylvanus, right? 
he considers Silvanus a, a faithful brother. This is most likely the same guy who was with Paul, who traveled with Paul on, some, on his second missionary journey. Silas is another way that he's known by, and he's the guy who's like in the, in the prison singing praises with Paul. But, but, but Peter has also got a relationship with, with Silas, with Silvanus as well, and he considers him a faithful brother. And some people look at this and, and they think maybe Silvanus is the guy that wrote this down, like Peter dictated this to, to Silvanus, and that's why he's saying, you know, I've written briefly by Silvanus. But more likely, most of the commentators would, would agree that, that Silvanus is the guy that carried the letter to the people, to the different churches. And so Peter's recommending Silvanus to them, saying, this is my faithful brother. He represents me. You know, take this letter, listen to it, read it. But Silvanus is dear to Peter, a faithful brother he considers him. Another guy he, he calls out is, he gives a shout out to is Mark, right? He says, Mark, my son, send you his greetings. Again, he has, he has this, this close relationship with Mark, another guy who traveled with Paul, who traveled with Barnabas. Um, most likely, the, this is the Mark that, that wrote the Gospel of Mark, that, that, Peter, um, that he got his information from Peter and wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Peter has a strong relationship with Mark. And Mark sends his greetings to the people here. And then he mentions she who is in Babylon in verse 13. Who is that? Um, it's pr- most likely, it's, it's not a single person. It's not a woman who lives in this far country of Babylon. Um, but it's most likely the church of Rome, the people in Rome, is what most people would, would agree on. See, Babylon was a nation, hundreds of years before, was a nation that was very antagonistic to God's people. And so Babylon comes to be a symbol at times. People use the word Babylon to refer to any kind of uh, nation or, or group of people that are antagonistic to the kingdom of God and to God's people. And so at that time, certainly Rome, the Roman Empire, was, it fit that bill, right? Um, and most likely, Peter is writing this letter while he's in Rome. And so when he says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. He's, he's saying that the church in Rome, the people in Rome, the, the people who have come to know Jesus, they are chosen just like you. They are connected to you. And they send you their greetings. Um, the importance of, of people and relationships are, are, I think, like shine forth in these few verses. And their, and their relationships that, that I think Peter says, we, we need to, to realize how important these relationships, these relationships are. As you think about other people in the church, other Christians, you need to realize that, that you are connected to one another, that you are chosen by God together, that you are actually family. We emphasize this over and over again here at our church, that we are family, Right? What does he say? He says in verse 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Okay, now it might get, start getting really awkward in here when I, if I start saying, okay, we really need to start applying this, guys. When we greet each other at the beginning of the service, I want you to kiss one another, okay? That would probably thin out the crowd a little bit. Or at least people would start coming a lot later to church. Right? But, but really, the, the principle here is as, as we greet one another, we need to greet one another with affection, with, with the understanding that, that we have this, the, these familial relationships. We're family. And we love one another. And as we greet one another, the, the people that we greet should, should experience that love from us. Probably kissing them might not be the best way to do it in our culture. But, but this is it. You know, he refers to Sylvanus as his brother. He refers to Mark as his son, right? We are a family. And we need one another. We need one another. You need one another. 
And so one of the things that, that comes out of this, I think, is we think about running forward with the baton, as we think about interacting with life and dealing with life and responding to life and especially the, the hardships and the difficulties in our lives, we need to realize that, that relationships with other Christians, with other people who are following Jesus, who have been called by Jesus, who have been chosen by God, those are not options. We have to make it a priority to, to spend time with one another because aff- affection for one another is born out of time together. Time spent with one another. How many of us are, are really intentionally working at spending time with each other? You know, m- there's some of us who may have, who may be very social, but our, our social circles are outside of the church. And that's a good thing that you have relationships with people outside of the church, but... but and you may feel like, well, I don't really have that much in common with a lot of the people in the church. But, but this is the thing. You do have something essential in common with everyone in here, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And, and he calls us to, to, to pull one another close together because we need one another. We need each other to know that, that we love them I want you to think about, even today, as you take the baton today, think about what is one step that I can do to to make the relationships with other people in our church a greater priority in my life? Is there something small that I can do? Even just developing a relationship, maybe even through email. Maybe it's inviting somebody over. Maybe it's saying, hey, do you have time to get lunch sometime? What is something that you can do to, to, to draw closer to the people in here? And so he says we need to stand firm in grace. We need to hold on to people. And lastly, we need to look forward to peace. The last line of the letter is this. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now when he says peace, peace to all of you, one of the first things my mind goes to is just kind of like I've mentioned before how, how I long for peace and quiet in my life. You know, just the, on Friday we were, we were floating down the Delaware River. There were 25 of us, I think, um, canoeing down the Delaware River. And it was a lot of fun. But there, were, there was like so many boats, so many rafts. We were all staying together for the most part. And, uh, and it, was, it was a lot of uh, teenagers that were with us going down the river. And it was very loud. It was very loud, and it was, it was a fun loud. It was a fun loud, you know? One of, the, one of the boats had a speaker, and they were playing music, and they were, and Silas was being Silas, and he was, it was extremely, it was very loud. Sorry, Silas. Um, but there came a point when we kind of got separated a little bit, and a few of us had drifted downstream while the rest of the people had, had made, managed to stay up at this rock where they were jumping off this rock. And so there were a few of us who were downstream, and, and as we were like, maybe we should, you know, we should probably pull over to the side and wait for everybody else. And as we were pulling over, it was just like, all you could hear were the, were the bugs in the trees, in the bushes. And I was like, wow, this is actually kind of nice. <laughs> peace, right? Um, that's where my mind goes when I hear him say, peace to all of you in Christ. But I don't think that's really what Peter's talking about. That's maybe a sliver. You know, this, this, ah, you know, peace. Maybe that's just a sliver of what he's talking about, but what I think he's really communicating here when he talks about peace, when he talks about peace, letter, he started off his letter talking about peace. He said, grace and peace to you who are in Christ. And now at the end he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. When he talks about peace, he talks about wholeness, perfection, things being made right. See, peace continues this theme that's, that's, that's been moving throughout the whole Bible, starting back in the Old Testament. 
This word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. I don't know how many of you guys heard the word shalom in the Old Testament. But this word shalom is this understanding, this idea that, that everything is right, everything as, as it should be. Everything is whole. When God made everything, at the beginning of all things, there was shalom. There was perfect peace because everything was as it should be. But then the first man and woman broke that shalom. They broke it. As they disobeyed God, as they turned their backs on, on God, peace was broken. Peace with God. Peace with one another. Peace with all of creation. All of the brokenness, all of the suffering, all of the pain that we experience in life is because shalom has been broken. Peace has been broken. And he finishes the letter saying, peace to all of you who are in Christ. One of the things that he said in this letter is that, that you have begun to experience peace as you've received the work of Jesus. We have, we, because we, Jesus has died for us, we are now, our peace with God is restored. Our peace with one another has begun to be restored. But peace hasn't fully been restored. Shalom hasn't fully been restored. And, and the only time we are going to really experience this peace is when Jesus returns and he's revealed and everything is made new, and everything is made right, everything that is broken is made whole. All of the pain and the suffering is taken away. All of the tears are wiped away. And so when he says peace to all of you who are in Christ, yes, there's, there's an element where we, we can experience the beginning of peace now, but we also need to realize that peace is something that we will only really fully experience in the future when Jesus comes back. And he wants us to look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming and that he's bringing with him that peace. And as we struggle in life, as we deal with hardship, as we work through trials, we need to fix our eyes on the future. As we struggle with the pain in our bodies, as we struggle with, with relationships that are fractured and broken, we need to look forward to when Jesus will return and he will restore peace. And yes, we will be able to say, oh, because everything is made right. Some of my favorite songs are the ones that talk about this peace, that talk about heaven, that talk about when everything will be made right. Um, there's a, a Christian contemporary singer named, named Stephen Curtis Chapman. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with him, but he's been putting out albums since like the 80s when he had this like, serious mullet going on. He um, doesn't have the mullet anymore, but he's still putting out a lot of music, and it's, and it's, and it's really rich, and it's really good. But in 2008, one of the things that, that he and his family did is his kids had gotten older, and he started adopting children, these little girls from China. I think they're from China. And in 2008, um, I think it's his youngest daughter, Maria, uh, who's around four or five years old, she came running out of the house to meet her older brother who was pulling in the driveway. And he didn't see her. And he hit her. And she was killed. And you would, you could understand, you could imagine that that ripped them apart. That tore them up to experience that kind of brokenness. The, the breaking of shalom in their lives. To experience it firsthand like that. And he talks about, you know, when that happened, he was like, I'm never going to sing again. I'm never going to sing again. 
But as he continued to work through it, he and his wife, as they continued to, to work through their feelings of grief and loss and pain and brokenness, they were able to, to grab hold onto the hope that they had found in Christ. And about a year later, he actually put out an album of songs that were full of, of lyrics that talked about his experience and his loss and, and his grasping onto hope in the midst of it. My favorite song off the album is the very first song. It's called Heaven, uh, Heaven Has a Face, I think is the title of the song. I would encourage you guys to listen to it. Every time I hear it, it brings tears to my eyes. But it, at the, the, there's a bridge in the song, um, the kind of a climactic part of the song where he, he writes this. But in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer is gone. Every mouth is fed. And there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love. And there's no more goodbye and no more not enough. And there's no more enemy. That is a description of shalom. That is a description of peace. And as we end the letter, Peter says, you need to fix your eyes on that. As you grab the baton, I want you to run and I want you to fix your eyes on the time when I will make everything right. I will make everything whole. I will fill every inch of this world with my glory. And all that is broken will be, made, will be restored and made whole. And you will experience your one true love which is him in a way that we can't even imagine now. Let's fix our eyes on that moment as we stand firm in his grace, his presence, as we pull one another close toward us. And let's run with the baton today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning to take any of the truth that we have heard from your word, that we would, we would truly run with it, that we wouldn't just walk out and forget, that we would run with it, that we would run with your grace, that we would run with a vision, our eyes focused on your peace, your shalom that you will restore, that you have begun to restore in the work of your son Jesus. We pray that you would fix our hearts in that time when you will fill all things with your glory. We pray that you would help us to see our role in that even. And that you would help us to praise you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we, as we close and sing.